I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Have when I tell you this, it's going to be humorous to you, but I was thinking about this morning. Miracles come in all kinds of different sizes. They come in different ways. And what's a miracle to, to you, uh, it's important in your life, it may not seem like a big deal to me, though it is a miracle. But if it's something that you can do yourself, and you know it's easy for you to do it on your own strength, and somebody else can't, when they're able to do this, then to them, that's God's miracle. They've been praying for it. It's a miracle. Well, I was saying all this to say, <laughs> I went yesterday with Rick and, and Eric to bow shoot. And, uh, of course, it rained. We got soaking wet. But, but I always do with my grandkids, so, uh, Samuel and, and Eric. They always compete against me. And, and I, you know, I have a, a scope on my, on my bow and have my glasses on. Half the things I'm shooting at, I just find a, a light mark and then guess and shoot. That's what it was doing. But regardless, it was a points thing. I had to hit so many things. And we came. I was ahead. And we came to the last target. It was a triple point target. It was a styrofoam raccoon between two trees. And uh, I couldn't see it at all. I missed it. And Eric steps up there. Now, it's two trees. His arrow hits the right hickory tree, bounces across, hits a sapling, and goes into the eight mark on the raccoon. Well, it was triple points. He wound up beating me by two points. Now, was that a miracle? He was praying for it, and there's nothing, you know, he likes more than beating me in anything. But that, that was once in a lot. You don't make shots like that. And Rick's standing there, and we went up. Said, well, you couldn't believe what we saw because you heard Daryl clang, clang, bong. You know? We went up and you see the mark on both of these things where that thing hit. Both of them went in there. I told him, I said, the Avengers have nothing on you, son. <laughs> you know, I'm so thankful that I, you know, all my grandkids are serving God and they have a good, you know, a, a good report from outside. And, 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 you know, they enjoy the simple, simple things. didn't take a lot, and that, that means a lot to me. All right, we're going to talk about love and respect. Kind of led into that, didn't we? Love and respect. Ruth 2, 10 through 11. Ruth 2, 10 through 11. Very seldom we'll get into the book of Ruth. Shame. From there, we're going to go to Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, a little more lengthy. Ruth 2, 10 through 11 says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? And thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law, and since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Now Ephesians five twenty-one through 33, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, and the key word here, and the wife see that she reverence, that's the key word, reverence, her husband. You may be seated. One way men and women differ has to do with that their differing desires within the marriage relationship. And it, it, there is what women want in a marriage, what men want in a marriage, two different things altogether. Man desires, more than anything else, he desires respect from his wife, which builds his sense of value and worth to the relationship. And what it does is it cranks high his marital productivity. Woman, on the other hand, desires to receive the security that comes from true love and intimacy within the relationship. It fuels a woman's positive contribution to the marriage. So those are the two things that contribute highly to a marriage, uh, a great, great deal. There's an article that was written by Emerson Egrickson. It says, what does, what does unconditional really mean? What does unconditional really mean? Let me just ask that. Anybody, raise their hands. What does unconditional really mean? We hear that term bantied around quite a bantered around, or not bantered around, bantered around quite a bit. Anybody? Go ahead. Absolutely no strings attached. Nothing. Nothing. Let me ask you this. And I've come to this, and I think sometimes, regardless of how much this is, is spoken, we still have we still have people that quite can't quite get it. No strings attached, just said it. Do I love a person unconditionally? When I let them come into their church and tell them you just come and set and pay your tithes. You don't have to worry about salvation. That's all you need to do. Do I love them unconditionally? So then what is, with that in mind, unconditional love then has to be a matter of telling people all the truth. Isn't it? And on top of that, then if you tell people all the truth, and you tell a truth that hurts that person, is that unconditional love? Yes? It, I'm say it, speak that again. Love has, that's very good, rules and responsibilities. So unconditional love, I accept you, but if you're going to make it to heaven, there are certain things you need to do. 
Now, when it comes to that, according to the Scripture, book of Ezekiel, if I have told you what you need to do and you don't do it, that's not my fault. That's your fault. And so enforcement of some of these things, with the exception of, and let's just getting into some things here I just want to touch on, with the exception of on this platform, I'm not going to enforce. On this, I enforce. Does that mean I won't preach it to you? I'll preach it to you every time I get a chance. But to come down there and slap you on top of the head and tell you this is what you need to do, I'm not. Here, I'll slap you on top of the head and tell you what you need to do. But, you know, people, it comes to a point, especially in a time that we're living in, people have to feel like everything is their own idea. And they have to, I'm seriously. You know, I've heard people say, well, I've got this revelation. You didn't get any revelation. And not at all. Well, this is what I need to do. It's always been there. It's been preached. It's all of a sudden you decide you want to do it. You made a choice. It's choices that we make. But, you know, that's, that, that's again, we talk about unconditional love. Let's look at it again. See, when I talk about unconditional respect, this is what this man said in this article. When I talk about unconditional respect being equal to unconditional love, Ephesians 5.33, one of the questions I hear the most is uh, some variation of, are you telling me that I have to unconditionally respect my husband's? His, my husband's, excuse me, my husband's bad behavior and become a doormat. Okay? Do I have to respect my husband's bad behavior and become a doormat? That's the question. It's okay. I can say I unconditionally love, but unconditionally respect. That means I've got to do what that egghead tells me to do. Is that what you're saying? Let's, let's look a little bit further. So they, they have a trouble, especially women, in, in a situation like this. <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, everyone knows that respect must be earned. Absolutely. And interestingly, in our culture, we don't have a problem understanding unconditional love. In fact, we see unconditional love as a right of every human being. But mention unconditional respect, and some women go through the roof and immediately visions of weak, dependent women flood their minds along with the inevitable label, doormat. So it comes to that. So this is what Jesus had in mind for married women. Question. Not at all. When the Bible reveals that a wife is to respect her husband, it is shown that the same way a husband is to show love to his wife. Ephesians 5.33 both are unconditional. However, unconditional does not mean you remove all the healthy conditions that make a marriage succeed. Unconditional means that you give the person the gift of love and respect as you confront the issues. I can have unconditional love and respect for people, but if we've got issues, we have to confront those issues to rectify them in some way. If not, then this unconditional respect is going to go down the drain. We have to have respect, but we have to rectify issues. And that's vital in understanding. James 4.1 says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Can they not even from your lust that war in your members? The reason that we have wars, we have world wars, we have wars in countries is because of greed, lust. That's the reason the Bible tells you. you know, why do we have wars? Why does God? It's nothing to do with God. It's all to do with people's lust and their greed. That comes from the devil, not from God. And God has given us dominion over this world. 
We take dominion over this world. In other areas, people take the right kind of dominion. All this would stop. But instead, they're greedy. They want something that they shouldn't have. So from thence comes, and that goes into fighting between a man and a woman, a husband and wife. And for reasons beyond human comprehension, God chose to introduce variety into creation. Now, you look at this variety. It's manifested itself in the flora and the fauna, which is made in different color, shapes, and sizes. And we behold these spectacular differences with wonder. We're all well aware of the differences God created in human beings, especially between the male and the female genders. It's just women are just better looking than men. They smell better. They look better. They speak better. I'm trying to give you somebody, some female voice to say amen. I'm, I'm waiting. You want me to turn it around and go the other direction? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they have, you know, there's differences between male and females. Now these, these differences can cause problems in relationships between men and women. Although we're quick to appreciate the differences in the uh, in the flowers and in the in the wildlife, you know, you see these little you now this time of year these little spotted deer walking out, you know, and you know, and I always look at them and say, "We'll take good care of them, put a little extra feed out, and then then come fall when they're just right to eat, I take care of them." So we should respect it, respect it because I'm gonna I'm gonna eat that deer. That's what you're gonna do. So, uh, you know, we, it's not hard to respect that, but we're, not, we're quick, not quick to appreciate the differences in our fellow human beings. As we studied in the previous lessons, the difference between men and women necessitate different human needs in each. Hostilities that develop usually are a result of a lack of understanding of these needs. In this, in this particular lesson, we're going to further explore and clarify some of these, these deterrents to harmony and compatibility between sexes, particularly husbands, of course, and wives. So we want this this tonight or today rather I want to I want to kind of challenge you with what some of the things I want to say and and make everybody just think a little a little bit more about uh, how you react and why you react the way you do. It, it pays, and no matter how good we are, it still pays for us to take a good hard look, and no matter how long you've been married, at your wife or your husband, and realize some of the little uh, variables that's in his personality and try to work around those things and realize when it's time to shut up and time to uh, you know to speak and you know, it's right. and in my case in my home it's always time to shut up and I learned that a long time ago that doesn't mean that I shut up she's learned to cut me completely off when it comes to hearing I honestly can walk by my wife and, and speak a whole b- I mean I, I, I can tell her everything that's gone on through the day and I can be two steps past her and she'll say did you say something? And then I have to go back through it all again. And then when it comes time, especially if we're going somewhere, she said, I didn't know that. I, I mean, I've heard it from here. Here I am. She's my, my wife for 40, coming 42 years. And, and she still asks me what I preach on platform. And I look back, be sure she's not sleeping on me, but she doesn't. She doesn't, she doesn't. The only time I can get even with that woman is from up here, right here. <laughs> I'll get it back, I promise you. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Now, Ephesians commands husbands to love their wives and would think it, it to be an unnecessary command. You ever stop and think about that command? Husbands, love your wives. Why in the world is God commanding 
husbands to love their wives. Anybody? Why is God commanding this? We mean God is love. Why is He commanding men to love their wives? That should be just what we do. I married that woman. Why wouldn't I? Why would He need to command me? Anybody else? Any woman want to answer that question? I mean, here we got. Some, go ahead, sis. Someone give it to me. She speaks real low. <laughs> it must be a problem, isn't it? Because he never would command if it wasn't a problem. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says love is shut abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost, Romans 5.5. 5. So we got the Holy Ghost. What, we, you know, we shouldn't have to have that command, but yet we do. You do. It's a command. God recognized both the women's supreme need for love and the man's weakness in demonstrating love. Even if it should come natural to him, he still has a weakness in demonstrating love. How many of you men would really be honest to say that you have to be reminded when it's your wife's birthday that it just doesn't come natural to you to buy her something or to write her a love letter, write her poetry? How many of you men do all those things? There we got one guy. Not... <laughs> Do you buy gifts? Oh, and you'll have to be reminded. See? Anybody else? We've got one man. To... You do. You're a pig. You can't do that. <laughs> That's what your wife said about you. That wasn't me. You know that. <laughs> All right. That's pretty good. That's really pretty good. But most of the time, men just have a problem remembering those things. It's not that they don't love their wives. It's just not as important to them. So... God says, husbands, love your wives. So, so he needs to, uh, well, let's, let's just take a little bit further. Further, men are to love their wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It should be a joy for a husband to love his wife. But he also should demonstrate it faithfully through actions, living his life in a way that builds their relationships through love and keeps them both connected intimately with God. Now, the love... An intimacy of a husband towards his wife motivate her. You want your wife to be motivated to do more things for you and cook you bigger meals and do all this kind of thing? Then show her a little bit of love. You know, occasionally go out and buy her flowers. I, I went out and bought a flower for her the other day. That's been a while back. And it, you know, I brought it in, and she said, well, you know, that thing is getting too big for the pot. So I went out, and she'd show me how to do this. I delicately took it out of the pot, put it in a bigger pot, and that thing died, just dinner in a doornail. And I don't have a clue to this day why that thing died. I did everything to it. I talked to it. I, I prayed for it. thing was ahead of devil. I even took it outside. It's still sitting out there. I don't know if it's going to come, come out of it or not. I mean, it got down to nothing. If it doesn't, I'm going to take it out and shoot it. That's what I'm going to do. Just put it out of its misery. But regardless, I, I tried. I just couldn't keep the thing alive. So, you know, it's, it's, we have people, it's showing them and, and letting them know that, it, it, you know, that let's, let's look. many people seem to understand, again, the meaning of love, but if they, they really know, but do they really know the meaning of intimacy? The dictionary defines intimacy as a close familiarity or friendship. The 
adjective, you know, that, that's, and, and that's good. You need to hear that again. It's a close familiarity or friendship. A lot of times when we hear the term intimacy, we think of some, something sexual. And that's not always what it means. You know, it, it's not that at all. It's, it, you know, <clears throat> should I get into this? And when I'm saying this, men, don't get mad at me. But a relationship between a husband and wife can get to the point where sex is simply not the only thing that matters. That's true intimacy. I'm not saying it's out of the question. I'm just saying that true intimacy means you love her without that being on the table all the time. It can be that far. And for some of you younger ones who think, will that ever happen? Yes, it can. Just, just remember, as men get older, things begin to act differently. Isn't that right, Dave? <laughs> Don't leave here without me praying for you. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen, look at him, I got him good here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the good thing about it is I got everybody's attention now. I'm sorry, Dave. I had to I had to use you, and and so though you don't think I'm I'm crazy here, he does have a need outside of what we were talking about. <laughs> You're going to be healed now because joy worketh good, or laughter worketh good like a medicine. <laughs> Can I move on now? <laughs> Say, I'm not sure. You better, Brother Robertson. You better. <laughs> oh. Now, some of you women need to shut up for a little while. Now. Just be quiet. <laughs> so if intimacy, then, is a close and and or excuse me, close familiarity or friendship, then the adjective form of the word states close and friendly, private and personal. It also gets to that, involving very close connection, having a cozy and relaxed atmosphere. And, you know, believe me, that, that these kind of things can happen outside of just sexual things. It's just being, it's being at, at ease with one another. It's being able to sit in the same room and not really have to talk. My wife prays for that. I know she does. But <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just getting to that point where you're just really comfortable with one another. That's, that's a wonderful relationship. All of these things. When you have this kind of relationship and a man can bring his wife into this kind of thing by the fact of just treating her the correct way. It doesn't take a lot. Just treating her the right way. Nothing motivates a wife like love and intimacy. And his love lets her know she is the one and only person occupying the closest of relationships in her husband's life. Intimacy convinces her she's enjoying a very close and private connection with her husband. These two vital elements constitute the motivation of every successful marriage. Husbands need to remember that some of the soft and fuzzy words, things that make wives feel romantic, they really do, are the things that motivate them within the relationship. So some of the husband needs to respect the things that motivate his wife, even though it doesn't seem necessary to him, it seems stupid. But it still is something that motivates the wife. A husband's honoring of his wife is essential in gaining and maintaining her respect for him. 
Respect is mutually beneficial in marriage. And although it is one of the highest needs of a man, the woman also requires it. Honor means great respect. And it tells, the Bible tells us that men need to honor their wives. And it means give her great respect. It may not be as needful for her as it is for him, but it still motivates her to give him the kind of respect that he needs. This kind of marital respect does not happen overnight. Two people probably are drawn towards marriage because they love and respect each other, but the deepest levels, and this is what we're speaking of, we're not talking about a superficial respect. We're talking about the deepest levels of respect require years to build and develop. For this reason, a lot of times it's necessary to restore respect when one mate has failed the other morally. Love may continue, but respect may take years. And this is the same thing. You're talking about this within the confines of marriage, but you also see the same thing within a church when it comes to uh, the failure of a pastor or a minister, per se, within a church. If they fail, you may still say, I love that man, but you're not going to respect him. That's why a pastor cannot continue to fill a pulpit if he fails morally. Because if I don't have your respect, then I don't need to be up here. And you may say, oh, I love you, Brother Robertson. You know, you, 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 you're a great preacher. You can have all that thing going for you, but you don't respect me. Because I've done something that I've preached against. You see what I'm saying? So when it, within, a, within a, the, a church, within the relationship of husband and wife, uh, respect has to be in. It's destroyed. It takes a long time to get it back. Husbands frequently forget how important honor is to a wife. When a husband honors or respects his wife, it makes her feel she's adequately fulfilling her role as a wife and a woman. And it gives her the confidence she requires to function effectively as a true companion. Now, the wife requires unconditional love from her husband, which makes for a stronger marriage. And it seems that love today often is expressed with accompanying qualifiers. Instead of love being just love, Often it's identified as, as conditional and unconditional, true or false, real or make-believe. And although the list of qualifiers could be lengthy, we will consider only conditional and unconditional love here this morning. Unconditional love is love that requires no pre-existing prerequisites. There are no qualifications or disclaimers attached. It's simply love that is genuine and true. Neither is it measured in degrees or intensity based on a set of conditions. Unconditional love is steady and static, regardless of what happens or is anticipated. Many have observed that unconditional love manifested in, in mates having to serve as caregivers. This is one of the best ways of telling unconditional love. When you have a, a husband or wife that requires care uh, and, and long-term care, it's unconditional love that keeps that man or that woman, whichever it may be, uh, constantly taking care of that person. I mean, their whole life has to go on hold. This goes on hold. Nothing else matters to them. That's unconditional love. And that's the kind of love that you want within a relationship that, that will continue. And that's not always easy. Not at all. You know, the only thing I really have to go on is my... It's my relationship with my wife. But I remember her knees being bad. Or when she had, most of you remember that, when she had both her knees replaced, which I still ask her to forgive me for insisting she had both of them done at the same time. That was, I know that was painful for her, but I was afraid she wouldn't do the other one. And that was, that was very difficult because in that, 
I had to make her do things that hurt her, make her bend her, her knees, and it was hurting her so badly. And, you know, the doctor said, we need to do 20 repetitions of this. So I'd do about five, and she said, you made it to 20 yet? You know, and it made, I want to stop. You want to stop because it was hurting her. And, uh, you know, no, we haven't made it to five. And I got mad a few times. You know, I'm not the one down there with the knee problem. You know, I'm not feeling that. But, but yet, you know, you, you, can, you continue to do what's best for them. And, and that's, the, that's the point. That's what, what I feel like is, and what the Bible describes as unconditional love. Even though sometimes unconditional love can hurt. You still, you still push through because you want what's best for them in the long run. And so, so that's, that's what we talk Unconditional love, then, is love that requires, again, no pre-existing uh, uh, prerequisites of any kind. And many have observed that unconditional love manifested in mates. Uh, you know, they, it, husbands especially, should, they should demonstrate their unconditional love for their wives regardless of the circumstances or the impairments. Now, this expression of unconditional love gives them security that strengthens their love and care for the husband. A marriage without unconditional love has little chance of surviving. It will not survive. Uh, You stop and think about what I'm saying. Existing conditions eventually will destroy or impair the marriage severely. Conditional love is weak and anemic, and it's susceptible to every marital shortcoming. You know, if you get married to someone and it's conditional, then you need not repeat the vows. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's popular today for people to write their own vows. And very seldom do you say, for better or worse in them. In sickness and in health, till we are separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. You, people don't want that. And what kind of relationship is that? Where, where, where do you draw the line in relationships? Let's just get right down to where it really matters here. Where do you draw the lines? You know, we got people today, I've already taught it, and I'm not going to go back to that, that are living together, you know, shacking up is what they're doing, and that's just the best way I can put it. And, and then, you know, it's, it's no, you know, there's no responsibility there, there's, there's nothing. You know, one person goes out and has 15 sex partners. Where's the difference between them and dogs? You hear me, what I'm saying? What's the difference? Even Canadian geese pair up for a lifetime. That puts us in a pretty bad situation when we can't do it. And you see, you know, you see this, and if I'm hurting anybody's feelings, I'm not apologizing, I'm just telling you the truth. Somewhere along the line, you so many people have been raised in relationships where mom and dad have had uh, 15 wives, and forgive me, I know I'm being embellishing this, but they've had one too many. It's just more than one is too many. It's too many husbands, too many. And, and that's the way they, they, they live. They expect to fail. Thus they fail. Marriage is the hardest job you will ever do. If you, you, you think going out and digging a ditch for 10 hours a day is hard, then get married and you'll find something harder. Anybody want to say amen to that? So think about that. You say you're trying to talk me out of it, but you better believe it. I used to not be this way. Now I try to talk everybody I talk to out of getting married. I said, you really want to marry that guy or that woman? Have you looked at her mother? 
Do you see his daddy in church? Good preaching, Brother Robertson. Thank you, Lord. All right. <laughs> Paul wrote, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 35, 38, 39. This is unconditional love. Now let's look at another aspect. When a wife complains or cries, it is often in her cry of needing her husband's unconditional love. Now, in a strong marriage, where both participants are happily fulfilled, there is no place for complaining. Now, let me qualify that remark. In every relationship, in every life, there are times when outside circumstances makes us complain. I'm not telling you that you won't ever complain. But it should always be outside circumstances that cause you to complain. Not the marriage. Do you understand that? That's why it's uh, a symptom of sick marriage when it's constant complaining. Obviously, again, the stress and strain of normal relationship can produce negative words. It, it does happen for all of us, strong emotions occasionally. But they, again, they should be responses to external stimuli and not problems with the marriage. Sometimes the wife's complaining or crying may signal to the husband that there are unmet needs. On such occasions, the preferable and mature response is to seek to understand the feelings and needs of the companion in pain. Further, a mature husband will recognize his God-given leadership role and seek to resolve any issues that have developed within the relationship. Still, a maid who constantly complains also needs to mature as a Christian. I'm going to go on all sides of this. Because I don't want any woman in here to think that she can, she can complain and cry and her husband's always going to try to fix things when she, by nature, is a complainer and a crier and a manipulator. Because you can use that same thing to manipulate and that is just as wrong as the husband failing to meet the needs. Because a lot of times you have women who learn to do this from childhood. They've seen their mother do it. And they continue to do this. Now, this kind of conduct, uh, you know, is very, very, it's just unacceptable. And it reflects immaturity and can cause great damage to a marital relationship if not addressed and dealt with properly. If you see that in you, then you need to begin to pray and get rid of that spirit of Jezebel of manipulation in you and fight it every bit of the way. On the other side of it, and then I'll go this, husbands, if I, you, it's not natural for your wife to do that, and there comes a time that she is complaining and she is crying, then you need to look and see what's wrong with the relationship. So it, it takes, because some of these things are symptoms. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth, cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Now, according to the Scripture, the husband who loves his wife loves himself, for the two of them are one flesh, in Ephesians 5, 28 through 31. Their oneness is an intimate relationship that belies fully understanding. Although it may sound selfish, a husband should love his wife for his own sake, if for no other reason. A husband loves his wife, he and his wife are one flesh, therefore the husband loves himself. And this truism should cause every husband to treat his wife with respect. 
For surely he would not consider disrespecting himself. This scriptural mandate harmonizes what is called the golden rule. It really does, if you think this. For, uh, and it goes like this. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even to them. For this is the law and the prophets, according to Matthew 7, verse 12. Now, the broad application of this instruction means that when we hurt not only our wife, but also others, we actually hurt ourselves. Husbands who understand this will treat their wives and all others with more love and respect. Wives, respect your husbands. And the wife see that she reverence her husband, Ephesians 5.33. The love and respect necessary for a strong marriage is never one-sided. When, when love and respect are the responses of one uh, only one mate, it's uh, like a person clapping with one hand. Then work very well. There may be motion, but there's no sound. Nothing is accomplished. Love and respect must be mutual. Reverence is defined as a deep respect. His wife needs to be honored and valued by the husband, so the husband needs the respect of his wife. Mutual respect is the substance of which a, a successful marriage is made. Now, when a husband does not receive the respect he needs from his wife, he has a tendency to feel inadequate. And consequently, he fails to lead in relationship as he should. It's imperative that wives respect their husbands for as one of his most ardent and basic human needs. Let me, let me qualify a little bit of this. Um, and when I say this, I say this, and I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. I know that uh, there, there are women out there that have husbands that uh, you know, just are not involved, involved in their children, involved in their marriage, you know, any of this. And you have to do it all, everything. Now, with that in mind, it's very difficult to respect somebody who has nothing to do with a marriage or with children. Very difficult. But on the other side of that, it might pay for you to show the husband some respect to see if by not receiving that respect, he starts getting involved again. Because after a while, when you just kind of thrown up your hands as, as, as a wife, you just thrown up your hands and you say, what's the sense? I, you know, I, I go do all this and I do that, and it's, he's here taking up room. That's about all. But if you could show him some respect, and I don't know how to tell you to do that outside that you're just going to have to find something you can show him some respect in, then maybe he would get more involved. Because I, as, I, as I studied this lesson, I, I never really... I had never really put it into words, but it is true. A man that is not respected by his wife doesn't feel like a man. You have to have that respect. And, um, and on the other side of it, you also know what I said earlier, uh, uh, you have to earn respect. But sometimes when you do this unconditionally, and that's what we're talking about, you can respect that person unconditionally. He's not done anything to earn it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to him anyway then you will find out that maybe he would be more involved. All right? That's, I know that I said that, and I feel like some people think, you just don't know how to, what it's like. No, I don't. I don't. But I, I do know that it's a biblical mandate. It, it is a principle, and I really believe that it, it can work. So it is, uh, it, it's, it's instructive to observe relationships in the Bible in which the absence or the presence of a wife's respect. And I want to give you one here that is, uh, you know, I've used this many times, and it's, this kind of, it's a double-edged uh, sword here. 
uh, where a wife's respect for her husband had significant effect upon the, on the relationship. If you consider, if you consider the instance in which Michael, wife of King David, she demonstrated contempt for for her husband's conduct when he was worshiping God in front of the Ark of the Covenant as it was coming back to Jerusalem. Now, there was two things that she was showing contempt for. Her husband was one by look at you making a fool out of yourself, and the other one was she was making she was it was contempt for God because he was worshiping God with that uh, that behavior. It's like the person who runs, and it's like, it's like Brother Tony here, if he runs back and forth before, and you look at him, and you, and you start saying, have contempt for him in some way, nobody has said anything. So don't even think that, all right? I'll hit you, all right? <laughs> no one is saying, but he's running back and forth, and you say, well, look at that behavior. He looks like a fool. You're not saying he just looks like a fool. You're saying God is a fool. Because con- there's contempt that's being shown for somebody who's worshiping God. Now, in this case, she was struck barren because of her lack of respect, not just for David, but for God as well. A church will be barren if you are, there's not worship. Now, when I say that, I, I want you to understand something. You can, go, uh, you can go out there and you can have groups of people and you can have every pew filled, and there'll be no worship. Is this all just a social gathering? That's not a church. Barren, uh, when I talk about something being barren, I'm talking about people that are saved, that love God, that make a difference in the world. I'm not talking about a group of people that come together just so they can shake hands and, and, and make some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of deal for, uh, to make money the next week. I'm talking about people who come to church to worship God. A church will not have that kind of people come in if there's any contempt shown for worship or disrespect in that manner. Now, that's the church. Oh, boy, I'm about to say something. It's going to really get me in trouble. If you don't respect your husband in the right way, and he's a godly man, and he's not respected within the home, that home could be struck barren. Home is a microcosm of the church. And so it can be struck just as barren within that home. When you say in barren, I'm not just talking about the, the birth of children. I'm talking about barren in everything. Not only are you going to have barren in love, you're going to, you're going to, it's just going to, be, it's going to be a house that has absolutely nothing in it. Your finances can go to pieces. Everything can fall apart. I don't care how crazy that man or that woman is in her prayer life or in her worship life, whether it be home or in the church, don't make fun of it. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right, now let's, let's, uh, let's move on just a little bit. What did I just, oh, that's what I discovered. A wife's respect for her husband and her submission to him motivate him to relationship. Husbands are inclined to pretend they are strong, macho leaders. All you men out there that are married, you're strong and macho. You know, you, you, you do everything. Well, you, you, you probably get up, you get up every morning and you take your hunting knife and shave. You know, you've got barbed wire instead of hair on your chest and... You know, that kind of thing. That, that, 
that's how we all want our wives to perceive us. And when in truth they know it's not the case at all. They know that when someone comes around, you've got your hunting knife shaven, but when they're gone, you put your electric razor out and you start using it. So that's what, you know, that's what men like for you to think. But when a wife respects her husband and she submits to him, it motivates that husband to be the leader that God intended him to be. In marriage, God has designed both husband and wives to be dependent on their spouses, to fulfill their needs within that relationship, and mutually upon God for completion of the relationship. This brilliant design of interdependency creates a strong and reflective union when joined together with God. Synergistically, when each component of a marriage is perfectly combined, the outcome is greater than the sum of the separate parts. That is what I'm saying. Most all the time, men try to act like they're macho to gain respect, but if a woman would just respect her husband for the fact that he is her husband and love her, then they can begin to come together and begin to get what we talked about last week, that synergy going. When the two complement one another, there's an energy and I believe that comes through the Holy Ghost. I really do. It can come through the Holy Ghost. An energy that goes forth and creates a, an atmosphere where God can do something great within the family. And you get several of those in the church. You get that in the church. Look what we can create in here. There's a synergy, if you would, of husbands and wives being complete and one, bonded. Then you create an atmosphere where people want to be. They want to be within the church. So that's, that's one, of the, one of the things that, we, that all of us as, as a church need to understand. Within the wife's respect, her husband's love for her is hindered, or without rather. The wife's respect, her husband's love for her is hindered. A woman's respect for her husband encourages his love for her. For Scripture commands him to love her regardless of her level of respect for him. Still, respect is a significant catalyst of love. Increasing measures of love are born out of her respect for him, honoring and esteeming him highly. And if a husband does not have the respect of his wife, he may continue to love her, but its absence will hinder his love demonstrated for her. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's something else to demonstrate it. Don't love in word only, but in truth and in deed. That's what the Bible speaks of loving. Truth and in deed. Let her choose to go to Outback. Even oh, I hate Outback. The restaurant? Have you ever gone there? You hate it too, see? All men hate Outback. <laughs> oh, that's it. I should have known. Charles said it's too expensive. I should have known. That's <laughs> it is. You're right. Too expensive. I don't, but she likes Outback. So I had to go to me. I like White Castle, you know. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is, you make that offer. The great thing about Outback is that normally when we're in town, it's not open. <laughs> I told her the other day, and I knew it. It was about noon. She said, let's go to Outback. And she said, it doesn't open until 4 o'clock. Oh, my, too bad. You know, we'll, have to, we'll have to go to Red Lobster instead, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Look as you shake your head. One of these days you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, it's 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 giving the giving in to them and realizing you're not the only one in the in relationship. Now, let's look at another aspect here. A husband's harsh words or withdrawal can often be uh, emblematic of his cry to receive his wife's respect. There, are, there are. Both subtle 
and noisy signals in a relationship. Some are subdued. Uh, you know, the spouse does not always distinguish them. Others are so overt that it would be impossible to miss them. It's vital for a mate to be sensitive enough to pick up on the subtle signals of unmet needs and not ignore the noisy ones. Harsh words do not belong to a healthy relationship, and a husband's use of them is inexcusable. Just that simple. It is. When harsh words or responses, uh, or excuse me, when harsh words or responses do occur, it's important for the wife to recognize that they are alerting her to something wrong in the marriage. Further, although words of anger may be a cry for her respect, they also could be an outburst from an immature and undisciplined husband. We talked about the immature wife a while ago. Now, let's look at the husband who tries to be domineering and yelling at his wife all the time to get what he... He's immature. If he was raised in a family where the husband always, or his father rather, always yelled at his mother, then probably that's what he's going to do because he saw the mother always give in. And if there's something wrong here, it's causing this. Now, this could be a level of immaturity, and there may be no way of fixing it outside of the husband maturing. But then there could be when a husband is not normally that way, and, and harsh words begin to come up, there's something unmet within the relationship. And so a lot of that is simply respect. How many men could be very honest with me? If, whether you're married or not married. If you are, are married, do you want respect from your wife? If you're not married, would you want respect from your wife? If you would, raise your hands. We want respect. We want respect. And I know for those of you women who are saying, well, you've got to earn it, you know, don't be saying that 50 years after you're married. You give respect to get respect. Give respect to get respect. Now, normally... Men can agree or disagree with me if on this, but the normal behavior of a husband, it's his nature, is to withdraw from marital discord. Is that, is that right? Any husbands? If she's just obnoxious and mean to you, would you prefer just walking away? Raise your hands. Be honest. Okay. I don't do that. I should. I don't. I prefer trying to. Come to my wife, kiss her on the back of the neck, say sweet things, and she's madder than a hornet. And she says, Leave me. she used to hit me with, with washcloths, you know, dish rags. She did that. She thought it was me one time. It was Brother Davis walking up behind her. She was in the church down the basement. She hit him with a dish rag. <laughs> she hadn't hit me a dish rag a long time. I think I finally got her respect. <laughs> but, you know, she didn't want, she, my wife, and her, when she's mad, she wants to get, any other women like this, they'd like to go through their mad spell. Anybody like that? You like to go through it all? Me, I like to make her mad and get over it. I mean, I mean let her get, I didn't make her mad. Let her get mad and get over it. We've been married too long, brother. Everything I could get in trouble for possibly has already happened, so there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but that's the way I do it. But most of the time, men like to just you know, walk away from it. And normally, that makes the woman mad. Am I correct? You know, he doesn't want to address the issue. He doesn't want to talk. You know, honestly, her and I, our relationship is completely opposite of most because 
I'm the one that wants to talk. And I heard most of the time women like to talk it out. And they want to, to, to work this thing out. Is that true with you? It's, you have to vocalize it. Anybody other women want to say that? How about you, Lori? Are you a vocalizer? That's the reason we won't let you get a firearm. <laughs> Any other women like to vocalize? Yeah. I should have known you would, sis. I said, <laughs> That's the reason two of you sound so much alike. You vocalize to each other constantly. <laughs> Anybody else? Any other women that like to talk it out and get it over with? Oh, you do? Okay. Okay. Mana? Sure. Oh, oh. Why did she do that to me? Why did she do that to me? <laughs> We're going to have to have marital counseling. <laughs> you know, you said that. Well, it reminded me of something. When you said that, something else came to my mind. We, I was down at... Uh, Oh, we saw Flagler Beach, fishing on a fishing uh, pier. And I'd, we'd been there. We'd done there several times. I'd been down there a couple of weeks. And my wife, <laughs> I bought my wife this new fishing pole. And I had it. And I had it out there. And I had two or three out there. And there was a couple of old Alabama retirees down there, and we got to know them pretty well. And uh, a shark came through and just grabbed, the, picked up the bait, and just kept going, and I couldn't get to the pole in time. It went flying off and into that, and I looked at it going off into the deep. <laughs> and this old Alabama guy uh, it was standing beside me, and I said, you know, I said, that was my wife's fishing pole. And he said, well, you should have told her she, if she'd had her hands on it, he wouldn't have got away. <laughs> so there you go, you know. If she'd had her hands on the fishing pole, she wouldn't have lost the fishing pole. <laughs> didn't make any difference. <laughs> See, she can't get the point here. It's, oh, she wasn't there. That's the point. She wasn't there. <laughs> oh. Well, all right, Monty. You got that one. You got, see, Eric got me yesterday. You got me today. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Oh, let's better move on. I'm running out of time. I better get out of time here real quick. <laughs> so, husband likes to withdraw. But in, the, in reality, uh, in reality, a husband and wife both in a situation like that, I know sometimes just a little bit of time to cool off is not a bad idea. But eventually, whatever the problem is that's causing this needs to be discussed and, and brought out in the open and, and taken care of. So respect, again, is the primary need for the husband. Uh, harsh words and withdrawal are not responses that relieve uh, or excuse me, that reflect, not relieve, that reflect self-control. A couple should be mature enough to talk about the, uh, you know, the needs without resorting to manipulative tactics or basic human responses. Good communication is vital to a healthy relationship. And I know that when it comes to using a term good communication, it's just used to death, but it is necessary uh, to have a good relationship. You need to talk about what bothers you without manipulation. And I think the manipulation part is what's created such a schism, if you would, in communication. 
Because both man and, men and women can have the spirit of Jezebel. It doesn't make any difference. Manipulation is manipulation. And, and so in that case, uh, if those things are not taken care of and you don't get over that, then there's never really any good communication. God is love, according to 1 John 4, 8. Not only is he the epitome of love, but he is, he is love. And his very essence is love. And exemplified, uh, love exemplified, rather. God loves genuinely. He loves unconditionally. And as humans are often, ex- uh, to often extend our love conditionally, if people love us, we probably will love them. And if they do not love us, we're not inclined to love them. Or we may love someone until that person hurts or disappoints us. All these kinds of responses represent conditional love. God loves unconditionally. If we do not love him, he still loves us. Even if we disappoint him, he keeps loving us. If we serve him, love him, and then draw back from him, he continues loving us just the same. His love for us is not based on anything we do or fail to do. For God so loved the world... And we fail to fathom that depth of divine love. God did not just love the world. The Bible says that he so loved the world. That that so, that little, those two letters right there, so loved the world. And the emphatic measure of God's love is encompassed in those two tiny letters. God loves his bride, the church. Further, the word of God reveals that church is his body in Colossians 1.18. Therefore, Christ loves his own body. The openness he enjoys with his body is oneness and love for the church. He not only loves the church, but he nourishes and cherishes the church of born-again believers. The dictionary defines nourishment as the food or other substance necessary for growth and health. The word cherish means to protect and care for lovingly. And how beautifully God provides for and protects his church. Now think about this when you think about your relationship with husband or wife. This is the, 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 what you have. Again, is the microcosm. It is a. It, it is what the. It's the relationship. It's a small part of the relationship that Christ has with the church, and we should we should take it that way. For me to to mess up, if you please, and and hurt my wife in any way, or for the wife to hurt the husband, you know, it, it, it's a it's a picture of of the beauty of the relationship with the with God and His church. You know, we hurt Him all the time as a church, but He still loves us. And husbands, remember that. No matter how many times you get hurt, you still should love her. Same way, wives. You still should love. That never changes. As a husband desires an intimate relationship with his bride, so does Christ desire an intimate relationship with his bride, the church. Now, where a husband is fulfilled physically and emotionally in his intimate relationship with his wife, the Lord is fulfilled spiritually through his intimacy with the church. I want you to see something here. You don't get anything else out of this this morning. Get this. Some church members seem to be satisfied to serve the Lord at a distance. They don't attend church regularly. They, don't fall, uh, they, they fall short, rather, in meeting their other obligations to the Lord. Yet they often are quick to assert their rightful place in the membership. This kind of discipleship is like being married and vocally asserting that the relationship while remaining distant without intimacy. As married couples should be close to each other with love and intimacy, so God desires believers to serve Him with joy and especially close and intimate relationships. Don't tell me you're a part of the church. That is one of the hardest things for me to deal with. And I've had, I've had people do this to me countless times. Or I have it brought out. Oh, he or she is, is a, a member of your church. 
Well, I hadn't seen he or she for 15 years. You see what I'm saying? Oh, their member's all right. They ain't put a dollar in the offering for about 10 years. <laughs> One of those people, you know. By the way, that's no longer good. A five is a new one. Okay? That's true. So you, you, you think that, that our relationship, we think about, of course, I, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised at that, considering the relationship husband and wives have. If a husband and wife are distant, then you can't expect people in the church to be distant as well. They don't really get intimate with the Lord. They don't get close. They don't do what they can. You know, everything that's done within the church, and especially this church, we do it with, with the one thought in mind is trying to win the lost and trying to get who's here to heaven, two things. Trying to get the people that are here to heaven and trying to win the lost and get more people to heaven. And that's what we desire, and it takes all of us to do that. Every one of us. Um, I remember people begin to think that it doesn't matter if you've got, uh, you know, a lot of people in church. I remember that this is back when it's been 28 and a half years ago. I'll never forget this. There was a couple who came into the church, and they, they both were saved. And later on, it's probably a few years down the road, that uh, the, the, the wife made a statement to me. She said, when we first came to the church, she said, it was in the old building. She said, there wasn't hardly anybody there. And she said, we thought he must be a bad preacher. Now, you just think about that. That was the first thing that hit her mind. So when you think it's okay just to lay out a church, you may be hurting somebody who's coming to visit for the first time. So we all have a responsibility. And our responsibility not only to God first and then to our relationships, our husbands or our wives. Thank God we have that opportunity. Thank God we've got help with this. He's the third strand of the cord that's not easily broken. You put Jesus in your marriage right in the middle of it and it's all going to be fine. All right, stand with me. I'm not done, but I'm finished. Dave, I'm sorry. I do want to pray for you, but not for the not not for what. <laughs> so don't you leave. <laughs> you know, Dave's got to love me. Every time I see him, I give him grief. So, but you know, the fact he's a friend with Don Bolt means I could probably just say whatever I want to him. I won't bother him a bit. <laughs> All right, let's just let's remember. Let's come tonight. Let's have church tonight. How about having a party tonight? All right, let's have a party. I mean, that's what the world does. They go out and they have a party and they get drunk on beer and all that. Let's get drunk on new wine tonight. All right, let's get drunk on new wine. Let's get the Lord again. Let's come tonight. And the singers are going to sing. We're going to sing all those fast songs. I like them. Got, got anybody... Can Beth, can you play the drums? You got a drummer coming? Oh, well, good. Good. I miss the drums. I don't know. I get accused of all kinds of stuff, and people think that I came out of the 60s and 70s, and there's a certain beat I like. I can't help it. You know, I do. It's rock and roll. I can't help it. I just, it's just I like the beat. 
they have this other beat they got now that don't even sound like it's it's there. I can't. I know everybody's. Oh, you sit here and heard him play the drums. Well, that I, I I only got one thing in my mind. I'm a, I'm an antique. I'm a dinosaur. You just have to remember. That's all I know. You know, whatever you like. That's that's what happens when the churches the churches progress and grow. It's really got to have new pastors because they get stuck back 20 years ago. You know, and they can't help it themselves. That's just the way they are. And I I when I took this church. I did the same thing, made some changes in it, and, those, and, and the older people was liking what they had 20 years ago. So now I'm one of them, and I like what I had 20 years ago. For those of you, the older people, that I give you grief, forgive me. I'm asking for forgiveness now. But 20 years ago, I changed the music. Now I've got people wanting to change the music. So here we go. It's just, uh, you know, there's, you don't change the Word of God. But sometimes a presentation, our worship, not that we get out of line or anything, but songs, music, it does change. And we have to agree with that, that no matter what, we have to understand that. And uh, regardless of who you are, someday your life's going to change. And you may not necessarily like it, but that's just the way it is. So I'm telling you stuff that you already understand and know. Aren't you glad you know all these things? Aren't you glad? It doesn't make it any easier to put up with it, though. Raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy, and I pray that you move greatly upon each and every one of us. Touch us. Be with us tonight. God, let us come together this evening to worship. Let new souls be on this altar this evening and being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I ask it now, Lord, knowing that you will do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you.